Thank you so much, choirs, Elizabeth, Terry, Praise Band, Orchestra, all you dear folks for bringing it each and every week. Thank you for that. It is Father's Day, and I give a hearty, happy Father's Day to all of you here, those that may be listening out there somewhere, probably a lot of folks on the coast just sitting back. They may be already taking a dip in the ocean and just watching on a simulcast. That sounds good, doesn't it? A lot of our folks are there, and we're blessed they can do that. Thank you for joining us today. It seems that even on such a day as Father's Day, Bubba may have a little, well, story for us. It seems that Bubba and three of his other buddies were all expecting children on the same day. How do you like that? So they're all in the waiting room in the maternity ward, the hospital, when the nurse barges in. Jed, are you here? And Bubba's friend Jed stands up. She said, congratulations. You just became a father of twins. Jed says, well, I'll be. I work for the Minnesota Twins. How weird. And they sit down and start to talk. About a minute later, another nurse pops in. Johnny, are you here? Bubba's other friend, Johnny, stands up. Yes, yes, what is it? You're the proud father of triplets. He said, I'll be. I work for the 3M company. <laughs> Lo and behold, nurse comes in again. Cletus, you here? Cletus stands up. Sir, you're the proud father of quadruplets. Well, that's just the weirdest thing. I work for Four Seasons Hotel. About that time, Bubba passes out. Nurse says, what's wrong? They all say together, he works for 7-Up. <laughs> is what it is, right? Happy Father's Day. At the end of our service, uh, parents, if you would designate one of your children to come up, we've got some delicious hugs and kisses, Hershey's hugs and kisses, all up here. Come and get a handful. We've removed the calories for them until you eat them. Then we can't help it. But get a bunch of those. We'll have that for each and every man here today at the close of our service. Thank you for coming to worship. I know some of you are here because uh, perhaps you're in town for Father's Day. God bless you. Many times being a father because you've done it so naturally for many years. It's just assumed you wake up, you suit up, you take the stresses that can come with the job and make it look easy. But I know it's not, and I thank all of you. God bless you. Some of you are doing it for 5, 10, 15, 20, 40, 50 years, providing and taking care of things, and it's a blessing. So thank you for doing it. Uh, young person, if you're here today, thank you, Dad, right? Thank you, Dad. It's a blessing. All right. Today's message, ever wondered what God is like? Ever wondered that? What is God like? Of course, if you're here in church, probably you've given a lot of thought to that. But even if you have, the question gets begged today. Ever wonder what God is like? Because there's so many misconceptions about God, especially today, that existed also in biblical times. And today we're looking at a parable. A parable is a story that is used para-paragraph, parable. It puts something alongside a truth so we can learn. 
And today, Jesus is teaching about himself. He's teaching about God. What is God really like? What would happen to a person that's running away from God, and how does God handle that? That's why oftentimes a lot of theologians agree it's, even though it's called the parable of the prodigal son, it's really more than that. It's the parable of the loving father, of course, of the prodigal son. And many people say, what is a prodigal son? Well, a prodigal basically is someone that has no use for authority. They've thrown out authority. They're going to run their own life. And, of course, we'll see this in this case in this particular parable. The fact is they don't want to accept responsibility. They run off, and they're usually self-destructive. They will put things in their body, in their mind, in their time that are highly self-destructive. And no doubt in a uh, congregation this size, those that are listening out there, you are aware of a prodigal. You may be a prodigal. You may be sitting next to someone today, and they may think you're fine. But basically, a prodigal can exist between your ears. Where you've run from the authority of God. You've run from responsibility. You live a another life, another way in your head, and you operate by your own rules. So it doesn't have to be necessarily as flagrantly as this young man will do in this story today. But a lot of times that it is, and it involves all those types of things, that once again, disrespect for authority, the lack of responsibility, the dynamic of living and doing your own thing, being really smart enough to lead and do your own life. Today's passage starts in the Gospel of Luke, it has to do with this young man, which you'll see, that Jesus begins to teach about what is God like. And it says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to the, his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together. All he had set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. The story of a lot of life, a lot of young people like to travel, get away from where they were brought up, get away from the things they were brought up in. And some of you have young people here that were brought up with the Bible. They're brought up with God's Word and have wandered off. They found they became really too smart because educators taught them or books taught them along the way. You really don't need God. You don't need the old way of living. Do your own thing. Be the own guide to your own life. Be your own God. Seal your own destiny. Been there, done that. I make a lousy God. I've said that many times, okay? But nonetheless, Jesus tells this timeless story because this only, it not only exists today, it existed back then because people are the same. We want to separate ourselves many times from family and do our own thing. Be out there as a citizen of the world doing what we do. I get it. I understand it. But it says that this young man decided he was going to take some things into his own account. Bring up that next slide. And he certainly was the son of his father by birth. And some of you have children that have been birthed into this world. You've seen them in those days where those little toddler hands would hug your neck and you would take them and have fun together, throw a ball together. But what happened at this point became very clear that the son didn't belong to what? The mind of the father, the heart of the father, the spirit of the father. There was something, there was a disconnect. I want to disown all you've taught, all you've done, all, and do it myself. I'm going to find another way. 
So we find, as I said earlier, you don't have to be living crazily to be a prodigal. But when you become disassociated mentally, emotionally, spiritually from that place that gave you that grounding and the other connection is to the Word of God, you become a prodigal. And we see the attitude of the prodigal is pretty much an attitude we think it's unique today, but bring up the next slide. It's entitlement. Entitlement. And he says, give me. You find no respect for the estate. The father, no doubt, worked hard, served and got this estate together. And he says, give me. In other words, I'm owed something. Give it to me because you, it must have just fallen out of the sky to you. And he comes and says, give me something. Not please, whatever. Basically, he didn't deserve it yet, and he was self-centered. Now, a father could, if he desired, meet out some of the estate along the way while he was alive, if he decided to do that. But we find arrogance on this part because he's saying, look, I've been there, done that around here. Give me what is mine. And so the father divides it up. The older son gets two-thirds. The younger gets one-third. That was the law. And so he gets his portion. And he's going to be off and show the world just how to do it because most prodigals think they're the exception to every rule there is. And sometimes they are highly intelligent, highly motivated, but put that in the wrong direction. I get it once again. So he gets off, and we see what happens to him as far as his self-centeredness. It talks about the worries of this world in Mark 4.19. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in, choke the word, making it unfruitful. Sometimes our children can grow up, and there is the deceitfulness of wealth. Wealth can buy a lot of different physical things. There's nothing wrong with physical things. But there's a deceitfulness in them. You know what happens? It'll happen to every person in this room. You stop breathing. And you stop breathing on this earth, and then there's the destiny of a forever. The deceitfulness of wealth that can't buy you out of an accident if you're already getting one. It may be able to help you some medically for a while, but maybe not. The deceitfulness of wealth, it'll bring lasting happiness, and it doesn't, because happiness is always dependent on happenings. There are some great things that can happen in life that make us happier. It's great if we can surround ourselves, make some choices to have that. But it's not lasting. That's the deceitfulness of wealth. And the desires for other things come in, choke out the word, making it unfruitful. And so the word of God becomes null and void in a person's life as they take on their own ideas, their own identity, because like we all think, I'm a very unique person, uh, an exception. I'll find my way through life and I'll get through my way of life and I will buck the system and get it done right. Well, the bottom line is the world always says, what have you done for me lately? If you jump this high, can you jump this high next week? Can you do this? What is it? There's always one more thing, isn't there? And the deceitfulness of riches before too long you begin to own us rather than us owning it and understanding we're stewards and God owns it. So we have this problem. We have an ungrateful, entitled person, which we haven't wiped out to this very day, will exist until the last person's on earth, until God becomes the governor and ruler in a person's life. So 
what the son really wanted. I guess it boils down to that. What did he really want? And what do we see extent in the human experience today? What he really wanted was independence. I can make it. I'm going to do it. So he turns away, and there's nothing wrong with the right kind of independence, but he wanted independence from the rules of the house, the rules of the father, the dynamics of what takes place in the father's house. Wanted to be away from that. Take his money. Let me show you what I can make. Even though my father had to earn it and get it, I'm going to take it for nothing and see what I can do. I'm young. I'm smarter than him. I got more energy. Let's see what happened. So it turns away from the father and his way of life. Isaiah 28, 12 says, To whom he said, There is no resting place. Let the weary rest. This is a place of repose. But they would not listen. I remember not listening. I remember thinking to myself, and I've talked to many people out there over the years that don't listen because they're going to get it. They're going to be the exception to the rules of life and the spiritual rules of life. And you know what? They just don't work. You can try it, and you can use different examples if you want. You can find people that are really smart, really talented, really energetic, really innovative, some of the richest people in the world, and some that come down with pancreatic cancer Some of that was the founder and CEO of an incredible company. Couldn't do anything about it. I don't wish that on anybody. Don't get me wrong. But it's the fleetingness of life. It's the deceitfulness of life. Everything can be going for you today and say, ha-ha, there's an exception to the rule except for one thing. When you stop breathing, you stand before the Almighty God. And if you stand there without having received forgiveness of your sins, Jesus said, you've exchanged your soul. Even if you had the whole world, that is the poorest exchange you could ever make. And so it is the unending story of what happens in humanity where people want to be their own God. The Word of God is very clear. It says he set off for a distant country. That's a typology of those that want to leave and get away from where they were raised. Bring up the next slide. Thank you. They wanted to get away. His idea, a distant country, is to distance himself from where he was. And when he goes there, and distant country in the Hebraic mindset was a place filled with pagans, with Gentiles. He goes there because in that land, you can do whatever you want, just kind of like in our world. Want to live together. You want to have multiple relationships. You want to use some substances because the government says it's okay. You want to do certain things and justify your lifestyle. You can just about do anything in our world, much like it was back in that day and time, where even they had illicit relationships inside of these pagan temples. And so he sets off, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. That means he did about every sordid thing you can imagine. Okay, that's what he did. Jesus points it out very vividly. He gets away out of the influence of the Father, takes his own worldview, seizes it by the horns, and he's out to have some fun in life. But he squanders his wealth, which is, it's not even unusual. Jesus just tells the truth. In Luke 8, 14, it says, The seed fell among the thorns, stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. There are many times when that deceitfulness of riches and seeking to be your own person and find individualism in your life, you already are an individual. 
you have your DNA, you have your own sets of ideas and makeup and how you look. You already are an individual. Putting something on your body, whether it's clothing or some other marking, finding some unique way in life will not make you an individual because you already are an individual. But God honors the individual and saves the individual when we come to him and he uses our gifts and abilities to become all we should be for him, for eternal purposes. And so people in their minds, you can be sitting here, listening out there, and be in a distant country, disassociated from the Heavenly Father. In Luke 15, 14 through 16, it says, After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. He began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And so we see once again what happens in life. He spent everything. He spent his time, he spent his effort, he spent his emotional energy, he spent his physical energy, and he spent his money, and it says he squandered or spent everything. He had not included God in his life, he had not honored God with his life and possessions. But even if he still had all that he started out with, if he died in a condition where he lived in a distant country, it still would have amounted to nothing. The great question, everyone, you know, sometimes, how much did he leave? Or how much did she leave? Everything. Everything. I had the couple of weeks ago the, the U-Hauls, with, uh, the, the hearse with the U-Hauls behind it. It can look funny and make a little joke out of that, but you take nothing with you. Jesus said, naked I came into the world, naked I'm leaving. And the storms of life, you see, they come up. It says there was a severe famine. There's a severe famine in our land also. People are starving for truth. They're starving for reality. They're starving for individualism. God says you already are. I personally died for you on the cross. And see, the land of famine, the severe famine, can come in lots of ways. It can be a disease. It can be an automobile accident, some other kind of accident. It can be job-related. It can be relationship-related. They're the storms, the severe famines of life, because the bottom line is there's not enough money There's not enough things in this world to heal what God has healed. Because when you lay down at night and Christ is your Lord and Savior, when you believe in the completed work on the cross, you have a heavenly Father that this parable is going to talk about. This is what God is like. If you ever wondered, the Bible is clear. This is what he is like. So he spends everything there is. This famine comes about. And we see that everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice like a foolish man who built his house on sand, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. You see, the winds and the storms come to every person's life, believer and unbeliever. Those in the country of the Lord and those in the distant country. The bottom line is, at the end, when that severe storm comes and ultimately takes us out of this world, One is going to crash and one is not. So everyone here, everyone in the world, biblically, Jesus teaches us in one of those two categories. Your house will either stand or it will crash. And if you've built a house that's going to crash, you've made a foolish choice. That. Next slide, please. As we look and see what he does, he hires them out, which was against Jewish law. 
to be to a citizen, a Gentile, a pagan Gentile of that country, who sent him into the field to do another thing Jews aren't supposed to do, come into contact with swine. He's not only in contact with them, he has, since he squandered everything, he's walking around out there feeding pigs, no doubt barefooted, touching them, smelling like them. If you've ever been near a pig farm, you'll notice there's never a cologne named Morning in the Pig Farm. (laughs) With a pig with a bow on it, it just looks so pretty. We've gone by and passed by some of those places. One is in Fremont, Fremont, Ohio, I believe. We had the vents closed in our car, and it was so bad. It was coming. I don't know how we got through whatever, and you could barely breathe. And there he is in the midst of that, violating every spiritual law, violating every biblical law. He's in the midst of all of that. It's unfortunate that he got to that position, but he did. It's where people end up. And he longed to fill his stomach Listen, it's awful when a person is literally starving. It's painting this picture. He's starving, that lump, that knot in his stomach. He longed to fill his stomach because everything he tried in the world temporarily filled it, but it didn't stay full. You see, if you have the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you know and understand something about God's love, no matter what's taken away, they can't have that. Because that relationship is vertical. And every day we are susceptible to something called dying. Now, not to be morbid, not to be pessimistic, but that reality is true, and Jesus points it out. And people make trades every day. What will he, Jesus says, what will a man take in exchange for his soul? Name it. They take it every single day. But the world's not going to permanently satisfy it. We'll temporarily do it. But it's not going to permanently satisfy, nourish, and fill people's soul because that's only something that God can do, period. So, where are his friends now? No one gave him anything. You see, I found out something when I became a true believer in the Lord Jesus. I had lots of friends that I could party with and have fun with, fun in quotes, and be out there. But when I came to Jesus, my friends didn't say, boy, that's a really great decision. We're glad you're not going out to some of the places and doing some of the things you used to do. No, they thought, man, that's weird. Why are you doing that? Where are my friends then? You see, I was trying to teach them and talk about the truth, what God had done in my life. They didn't want to hear it. I, I understand. Where were they? You see, when I was on the same wavelength with them, everything was cool. And I didn't judge them. I knew where they were coming from. But even if you don't have the Lord, if you have some money, you can keep people for your friends. If you do something for them, they'll be your friend. In fact, there's a social media thing that, that people use, and you get to count your friends. Your friends. i try this. If you have a few hundred on there, just pick one and say, I've got a flat tire. It's 2.30 in the morning. Can you come help me fix my tire, friend? Hmm? See, we've even lost the definition of that. And we can buy, money can buy some temporary happiness, and it can even buy some friends. They'll love you and like you if you give them something. What happens when you tell them no? I don't want to be under that authority. Nope, that's out. Surrounded him, they surrounded him when he had plenty. Luke 15, as we continue, it says, When he came to his senses, 
You see, Jesus calls someone that wanders off in a distant land somewhere outside of him, you've lost your mind. You have made a poor choice. But it says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. He comes to his senses. Finally began to reason right when he came to his senses. What a statement. It took some difficult storms in my life to bring me to my senses. A lot of it's coming to the end of yourself, admitting you didn't get it right, didn't get it perfectly done. Admitting and knowing that this world, it can promise you a whole lot, but if that's all you seek, it'll disappoint you. If that's all you have, you will find out as you look at the world, wow, that person was climbing the ladder of life, and look what happened there. And eventually, even if you dodge all those other things, accidents, diseases, disappointments, and you can't, eventually get to the ultimate one. It's the end. And what did you do with your life? God says, I have a claim on your life. I made a claim on it. I paid your debt on the cross. And I ask you in return to live for me, not to be saved, but because you are saved. He comes to his sentence. You see, repentance begins with thinking about the need to repent and return to God. First and foremost, we sin against God. Then we confess that, and we sin against people. But first and foremost, it's against God. So this young man begins to think, I need to get back. I need to repent. But you see, thinking about it is not enough. Repentance is far more than that. Look at the next couple of verses. It says, so he got up. Real repentance is more than thinking about it. He gets up and he takes some action. So he got up and went to his father. What did he have to do? He had to really humble himself. I stunk it up. I had all this money I didn't even work for that I got, and I blew it. I went there, and I'm feeding pigs. I'm working for a pagan guy. I can't even eat, and all my friends are gone. I thought were my friends. And he goes to his father. So it's a great thing with this, what this prodigal son does. What a great thing. He decides, you know what? I need to go humble myself and just own it. I need to be back under the father's rules under the Father's guidance. I need to have a relationship with the Father. And of course, Jesus is talking about the Heavenly Father here. But while he was still a long way off, his Father saw him. and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. We see something really powerful here. Once again, he went from thinking about repentance to actually taking some action. I can tell you this. The enemy wants you just to think about it and never take action. Never to say, here's the line I have. I'm going to live by God's words and God's standards. I'm not the exception. And if I continue to live like that, I'm going to really mess up and have that ultimate disaster that when the floods come in life, I'm going to be destroyed with it. So he changes his thinking and he changes his action. He got up and went to the Father. He confessed his sin. He confessed his unworthiness to be called 
God's son. That's what repentance is. It's taking the action, confessing and saying, here's what I did. He goes back and confesses unworthiness. Jesus, you shouldn't have died for me, but you did. Thank you. I confess my unworthiness, and I shouldn't be called your son, because when you believe in Christ, the word of God says, to many as believed in him, he gave the power to become the children of God. He actually adopts us. It's a legal term into his family. and takes care of us. So he does what he needs to do. But I want you to see, regarding the question of today's sermon, ever wonder what God is like? Let's take a look very quickly here and see. Look at the Father's vision. It says, while he was still a long way off, Father saw him because he was looking. He wanted him to come back. The Father wasn't vindictive and said, I worked my whole life to make this estate, and you've gone and squandered it on everything that's abhorrent to me. But it says while he was still a long way off, the father was looking at the horizon, waiting for that gant, that different walk, that different gate, that look, and knew it was his son. That's the father's eyes. That's his vision. Look at the father's heart. It says filled with compassion for him. Not filled with I told you so, but filled with compassion. You want to know what God's like? Look. Look at the father's feet. He ran to his son. He goes and runs to meet him. Doesn't make his son come to him while he's tapping his foot. He runs to him. Look at the father's arms. Threw his arm around him. This son that was in pig dung, caked no doubt between his toes, filthy. He goes and hugs his son. Look at the father's arms. And look at the father's life. Look at the father's lips. He kissed him. I wonder what God is like. God's waiting for you to come back to him on his terms. God didn't have to make a deal with Joe or anybody else. I'm coming on my terms, God. We come to him, repent of our sin, own him as our Lord and Savior. That's how we come to him. And what does it say takes place in verses 22 through 24? But the father said to his servants, quick, bring a whip so I can whip him. No. He says to the servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. I know what God is like. When you truly repent and stop just thinking about it, but really do, and you come back. When you get up and just own what you need to own and say, Christ, I've tried my own way. I want to receive you into my life as my Lord and Savior the Father does is restore. He restores what your life should be all about. How does he do it? He puts a robe on his son. That robe stands for sonship. He puts on the best robe. It's a typology and a symbol of us being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's what the Word of God talks about. He puts a robe on you. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you get the best robe. You're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. He puts a ring on his finger. Son, now that you're a son of righteousness, you have authority. That's what rings were used. They signify in signet rings the authority of the kingdom. It's a ring of the authority of the kingdom of God. Now you have a responsibility as a keeper in the kingdom to tell forth the good news, to live as a kingdom citizen, authority to tell people the truth about God's word. He puts sandals on his feet. You see, servants 
didn't wear sandals. They were barefooted. And see, pastor, why would you say before he had pig dung between his toes? Because he had to have sandals put on his feet. You're no longer a servant. I'm putting on the sandals because this is a new position you have now. You're now not a servant. You're a free man, a free man indeed. You're free from the tyranny of yourself, free from the temporal rules of this world, and free to serve me. And there's also a celebration. Why is there a celebration? Well, the Bible tells us. Because he said, because the son of mine was dead. If he left and went into eternity in that state, he'd be dead forever. Biblically, dead forever means separated from God forever in a place called hell. I know it's uncomfortable. It's not politically correct. But if you're hearing this today, let me just tell you that the biblical truth reveals, as Jesus spoke about hell more than heaven, there is such a place. We've all made bad decisions in life. Listen to me carefully. And you've had regrets over them. Regret is one of the most awful feelings a person can have, isn't it? But sometimes, thank God, if there's breath in our lungs, we can make some choices to change a poor decision and a failure into a positive and a good decision. But after we die and we stop breathing, hell is the place, whatever else it is, where you live in eternal regret because you can't undo the fact that you snubbed your nose to the greatest act of love there ever was. You didn't pick up the robe of righteousness. You picked up the robe of selfishness the robe of self-authority. You didn't put on the ring of authority of God, but the ring of authority for your way, your mind, your thinking, the ring of exception. You think you're free by doing what you want to do, but I found I wasn't free. I was a slave to things. Jesus truly makes you free because no one can buy you except God if you're a believer in him. And there is a celebration because of the best news in the world today. Some of you may be here and have some prodigals, children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren. You may wonder what's going to happen to them. There's one of two things that will happen, but today, very redemptively, what I'd ask you to do is, pastors, come forward. If you would like to pray for your prodigal, come forward and pray alone or pray with the pastor. You may be sitting right here. You may have come to honor someone. I know this is really transparent and may sound weird, but I'm going to say it. Today may be your day to say, you know what? In my head, I've been in a distant country. I haven't been there. I've played the part. I looked the part, but I'm not the part. Today, I want to own Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. I'm not just going to think about salvation. I'm going to make a step and say, God, I'm receiving you into my life truly. And I want to walk under your authority now. And if you're doing that, what a great thing. Talk to one of our pastors, one of our deacons up here. We'd love to do that. If you're looking for a church home, we invite you to come today as a candidate for membership. We're looking for people to be part of this family. You see, in this family, it's not about pigment of skin. It's not about how much money you have or don't have. It's not about where you're from. In God's family, It's because you've come to have the same Heavenly Father as everyone else by receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior. See, that's the best family in the world. People don't do things for you for what they can get. They simply give because Jesus gave everything, and that's our model. We give because it's right. Not to get, we give because we're blessed. 
What a great difference. We'd love for you to be part of this church family. And if you don't have Jesus Christ yet as your personal Lord and Savior, with all due respect to whatever place you are in life, whatever distant country you're in, you might even say, well, that's good for all of your people. That's a good message. Jesus told a good thing, but that's not my road. Hear me saying today, God has brought your ears to listen to maybe the last message you will ever have before this night your soul is required of you. Then what will you do? Your way to heaven's already been paid by Jesus Christ. Today, you can repent and say, Christ, I'm coming confessing my sin to the cross. And I want to walk with you. I'm tired of being the prodigal and the exception. I'm tired of running away from it and messing up my life with my best way, my best thoughts. And I want to return to you. He will receive you just like I talked about. God will celebrate it. Let there be a celebration today. Please stand now, whatever decisions on your mind and heart, whether you're here or you're listening in the simulcast, make that decision now to invite Christ into your life. We're here. We'd love to hear from you. Come forward. Terry's here to lead us.